Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Birth order matters. You can talk to people and find out their birth order and know a little bit about them, okay? You can, get, you can have a little heads up on how, what they're going to be like just based on where they came in, in the birth order. Uh, I had three kids, and when Bennett was born, <clears throat> there were lots of pictures Kind of a helicopter dad, if he fell and scraped his knee, I was Johnny on the spot to make sure he was okay. And, um, you know, there's, there's just lots of pictures, lots of, lots of framed pictures. Uh, every little move gets celebrated. It's just uh, when you're the firstborn, that's just kind of how it is. And then Tanner came along, and I was a little bit more experienced and didn't helicopter quite as much. And poor Tanner walked around with a little bit dirtier face and and a little dirtier hands because we figured out he wasn't going to die. He was a little boy, just doing what little boys do. So um, we had a little more experience, and, and uh, you know, Tanner just kind of moseyed along. Delaney, raised by wolves, we expect her to show up any day now. You know, like the, the third born is like after you get used to having them, they're kind of on their own. Not really. Delaney had lots of attention. She was, you know, the little girl, and so she got lots of attention, and uh, Delaney, for those of you who know her, will be graduating from Indiana State next week. So um, they're all grown up. Yeah, they're all grown up. Um, so birth order matters. And, and when you think about that, it, it's a wonder. It's a wonder that I'm alive. It's definitely a wonder that I can have eyesight, that I can see anything. Um, I was the second born out of four. Two boys, two girls. The first was a daughter, Melissa. She's four years older than me. So Melissa had four years to get used to life on her own with no siblings. The center of attention. The, the one that, you know, got whatever she wanted and everybody feigned, you know, fawned over her and, and she was awesome. And, and then they, my mom was expecting me and everybody got excited and my sister couldn't understand why anybody would be excited about that. And then I was born and I was a boy and, you know, dad's when they have their boys, they get excited, and so my sister saw the excitement in my dad's face over the fact that he was going to have a boy, and dad's best friend showed up, and he brought him in to show him the boy, and, and um, my sister was not having any of that, right? Like, no, I don't like this. So, needless to say, I wasn't, she was not a big fan of mine. Um, so, when no one was looking, my sister... I was an inf- I mean, I was in a bassinet, all right? I'm tiny. I'm a newborn. My sister crept into where I was supposed to be asleep and took a sharpened pencil and set about to inscribe her initial on my face, right? So if you wonder what's wrong with me, that's what's wrong with me, okay? Um, <clears throat> So apparently I had scars and she, a big M scratched on my face. And uh, so it's a wonder I'm alive, really. Um, you know, you just, and you've got your story. When we walk out of here, you're going to come up and you're going to tell me some story because I've got some more to share with you. But uh, um, it, it's, just a, it's just a wonder that we, that we make it through. We hurt each other. We say mean things to each other. If you've got brothers and sisters, you know you've said things to your brothers and sisters that you should not have said, you should not have done. I told this story this morning when, when back in the day, I'm going to sound like Grandpa, back in my day, this was back when there was three channels on television. You remember those days? 
Three channels on television. Now, this will also tell you that I've been scarred for life because I grew up in the Cincinnati area, so I'm a Bengals fan, all right? We're never going to win a championship, ever, but we, we, you know, we, we keep the faith. So, so I'm, I'm going to church, and this was back in those, the days when now we can watch a football game when it's football season. We can watch them anytime we want, right? We can DVR football games. I mean, even if you don't DVR one, you can just about see one almost any night of the week when, when it's in season. And so, but back then you couldn't. And even then, if the Bengals, the only time they showed a Bengals game on one of the three channels was if they were going to be out of town. If they were in town, they definitely weren't showing you that game because they were afraid you wouldn't go to the game. So, and this was back when they didn't show sports all the time. This is back before ESPN. So, you know, we didn't get that many opportunities. So the Bengals are going to be on, so I'm going to watch the game. And, and I made, you know, I, that was my thing. Well, my sister decided that 20 months younger than me, Amy, 20 months younger than me, that, that caused all kinds of problems. You know how girls grow faster than boys? Yeah. She was like a foot taller than me when I was a freshman. I was so mad at her. Couldn't stand her. Couldn't stand her. Anyway, I, I, not to make you my counseling appointment, but um, so we're driving home. We're in the car on the way home from church, and I said something about watching the Bengals game, and she said, oh, no, you're not. I'm going to watch television when we get home. I said, what's on? Well, she couldn't tell me what was on. The only other thing that was on was Meet the Press and a, and a Western, right? Like, those are your options. You're not, you don't want to, you're 10 years old. You don't want to watch any of that. So sure enough, she gets out of the car before I do. She gets into the house. She goes downstairs, turns on the one television that we had. You remember those days when you had one television? Turns on the one television and says, I beat. Well, I'm furious, right? Like, I'm just... <clears throat> I'm 12 years old. I'm a 12-year-old boy who just got bested by his little sister. I balled up my fist. I waited for her to turn her back. And I hit her between the shoulder blades as hard as I could. And it felt wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I would love to tell you that I'm sorry and, you know, that God got a hold of me and... No, it felt really, really good. Well, I heard her pretty bad. She went upstairs and told mom, and I got beat for that. I really did. I, I did not get to watch the Bengals game that day. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, you've got your story. You would have your story about your family and your brothers and sisters. We've all done that stuff. You're not sitting there thinking, man, Brett's, Brett's not very nice. No, you did say the same kind of stuff. But here's the problem. We grow up and we still do that stuff. We do not outgrow those kind of things. And we get with our brothers and sisters in Jesus and even those who aren't brothers and sisters in Jesus and we hurt people. And we can do things and we can get hurt. And so a lot of us are, are, are either carrying around grudges because somebody hurt us or we're carrying around regrets because we hurt somebody else. In, in Matthew, Jesus said this, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins have you ever had to forgive somebody for something that seems absolutely unforgivable today we start a series called love like jesus and in this series we're going to take a look at three different uh, images of the love of god 
And we're not just called to receive the love of God, we're also called to show that love of God to other people. Today we're looking at the idea that Jesus forgives sinners. And yes, I just used, I heard, I was watching television the other night and they referred to forgiveness as the F word. Like it is, the new, like that's the thing we don't want to say. That's the thing we don't want to talk about. When I say forgiveness, you just had a face pop into your head. Just about everybody in here, when I say we're going to talk about forgiveness, their first reaction is, oh, I don't want to talk about forgiveness. Because that means he's going to press me to forgive her. Or he's going to press me to forgive him, and I don't want to forgive him. And so we don't like to talk about forgiveness. We don't like to be taught about forgiveness. We just whole lot rather that wasn't a part of the vocabulary. But the thing is, forgiveness is at the root of the Christian vocabulary. It is at the very core. And what we're going to learn is that we are not only sinners who are forgiven by Jesus, but we are also forgiven sinners who are called to love like him and to forgive other sinners just like he did. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 23, that's where I'm going to bring a couple of remarks this morning. I want to give you a little context before we dive in. Luke 23, Jesus is completely innocent. He is hanging on a cross between two criminals, and Luke tells us the following. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Now let me just stop and try to paint a picture for you, or better yet, to correct probably a picture that you have in your mind that is probably not exactly accurate. Because you have seen crucifixions portrayed on television or in the movies, and when they show them like that, they typically do not show it the way it probably happened in real life. Because when we imagine a crucifixion, when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we typically see that as looking up at him, as he's kind of lofted up on this cross high above us. And I think that we have this tendency to think that we would have looked up at Jesus on the cross. That's really not the way people were crucified. The Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it as a form of torture. Okay? So they, they and not just physical pain they were after the emotional pain they were after any kind of spiritual pain they could inflict they they wanted this to take its toll and so they thought through and thought out exactly what they could do to make this the most painful awful experience that a person could go through and so uh, the the fact is the, that Jesus went through excruciating pain in fact the word excruciating is two greek words we've put together and from that we get this word that means out of the cross. So literally excruciating, we get that from the crucifixion. Out of the cross. They drove nails through his feet and his hands. They hang him on a cross. And rather than being way up in the air, Jesus was more than likely um, probably no less than six inches and probably no more than a foot and a half. Uh, somewhere in there, probably if you can imagine, just about a foot off the ground. Um, one of the things that happens when you are crucified, really the way you die, is you're asphyxiated. You can't breathe. You just cannot get a breath. And so they pin your, your arms out to the side, and the way they've got you positioned on that cross, there's just no way to get air into your lungs. And it's just this constant battle. Every breath is a battle. 
and you're, you're pushing yourself up just to catch a breath, only to let yourself down and let that breath out. And every single breath you take is excruciating. Add to that that they had flogged Jesus. They had literally ripped the flesh off his back. And every move he makes on this cross is up and down on an open wound. The pain that Jesus went through physically was excruciating. You add that to the fact that he's probably no more than a foot off the ground, and there's this illusion that if I can just touch the ground, I'll be able to stand up straight and get a breath. And it played with your mind. You can see the ground, but you can't touch it. And so it's just this constant, can I get another breath? Can I get one more breath? Can I get one more breath? And it's up and down on this cross, all the while just rubbing your back raw, fighting tooth and nail just to catch another breath. Being so low to the ground like that allowed people to walk up. The Romans wanted you to be able to walk up and to insult them, look them in the eye, spit in their face, call them names. Probably was not uncommon for somebody to haul off and smack somebody or, or punch them. It was a horrible, horrible way to die, and that's what Jesus was going through. In Jesus' case, not only are other people mocking him, spitting on him, mistreating him, but he has people on his left and people on his right who are they're hurling insults. This one guy starts to hurl these insults at Jesus. You claim to be able to save everybody else. Save us and yourself. And at that moment when creation was at its worst, mocking its creator, Jesus prayed an amazing prayer. With all of this going on around him, with all these people jeering and mocking and spitting at the one who was giving his life for their sins, he looked toward the heavens, and in verse 34 we read this prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And Jesus asked God to forgive those who were sinning against him in a moment when they were doing things that we would describe if it was done to us as absolutely unforgivable. My name is Brett. I'm your friend. I came to tell you the truth this morning. I came to tell you that if you live long enough, you are going to be hurt by somebody, okay? That's all of us. You live long enough and somebody is going to hurt you. Now let me just add this because I think it's important. You will also hurt others. You may not mean to. But you're going to hurt people. I've said this to many people many times, but I'll say it here again. If you follow me long enough, I will hurt you. I won't mean to. But I'll let you down. And I'll disappoint you. And I'll probably hurt you. That's the nature of being alive. I don't care who you are. You're going to hurt people and you're going to be hurt. No doubt somebody took advantage of you. No doubt somebody lied about you. They abused you. They cheated on you. They took something from you. They hurt someone that you love. They hurt your, your brother. They hurt your father. They hurt your child, or maybe your mother, somebody who said they were a Christian did not act very Christ-like toward you. 
you went to some church and they did something to you and it just devastated you whether they knew it or not. And just let me say, we, we've had people come to church here and leave and they've been hurt for some reason and we don't ever do that on purpose. We would never hurt somebody on purpose and have them leave here and not ever want to go to church again. But you know what? Because we're human, we don't always get it right. So maybe you went to some church somewhere and they were well-meaning. They, they thought they were serving God. They thought that what they said to you or the way they treated you was in some way pleasing to God. And it probably wasn't, but they were deceived and they didn't know that. But it hurt you. And there are a lot of people who've gone to church and been hurt and walked away and never gone back. You've been gossiped about. The boss didn't treat you fairly. We could all come up and walk across and, and you've, you've all got a story, probably more than one. Now here's the crazy part. For some of you, you were hurt by someone who's no longer alive. And you are still carrying the weight of what they did to you even though they are dead and gone. Every day you wake up and you pick up this rock that they handed to you before they died. The rock of infliction that they put on you to make you carry around this, this lack of forgiveness. And you carry it around and it's heavy and it's making you bitter. And they're dead and gone. And they're written space in your head. And, and you just, every day, you wake up and you pick this thing up. You lay down at night and you maybe, sometimes we take it to bed with us, right? We just lay there and we stew over it and we get all stiff and we, we, we can't go to sleep because we're so racked with bitterness. I had great parents. I really did. I, I'm really looking forward to, I, I believe it's shaping up that uh, my mom is going to be able to join us for services next week. I hope that is the case. It's looking kind of like it will be the case. So we'll have dignitary with us next week. But uh, I had great parents growing up. And they, were, they were always there, good to us. But I've heard people tell stories about their mom and dad and some of the things that that they did. I've heard about moms and dads that were addicted to substances and really couldn't take care of the kids that they had. I've heard about moms and dads that abandoned their kids. Moms and dads that touched their kids inappropriately. Sometimes I hear stories and all I can do is shake my head because I can't believe that a parent would do some of the things that you've told me that your parents did to you. I, I just shake my head like I, that, that doesn't compute with me. I don't have that experience. I don't know how to relate to that. I can't imagine being a little one and have stuff happen that has happened to some of you. Some of you, what you've seen growing up, no child should have to see. So maybe that's the thing that you're having a hard time with. For some of you, it might be some person, we all have that person, right, that just kind of drives us nuts, the sound of their voice, drives us to the brink and we just want to pinch their hip, hip. I'm sorry I <laughs> it got away from me for a minute right we all have that person don't we we all have that person that just kind of gets under our skin and we we and when we think about them we think God I shouldn't think like that about them 
But maybe they're snarky, maybe they've got a bad attitude, maybe they're just not a very nice person or they're critical or whatever, but we've all got somebody that just does it for us and we just have a hard time. Once in a while I will run into somebody and they're angry at God. And they, they, they say that in different ways. Um, it usually, I've heard it all different kind of ways, but it's usually their prayer would sound something like, God, why would you let that happen? I'm mad at you because you let that happen. Sometimes I talk to people and they've done something and they can't forgive themselves. I had that conversation this morning. I had that conversation this week. Brett, I know Jesus died for my sins. I know Jesus forgives me, but, but I can't forgive myself. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to teach you this real quick just to help you get over it because I think more than one person probably needs to hear this. I don't think you understand what you're saying when you say, I know Jesus forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Here's really what you're saying. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't sufficient for my sin. My forgiveness is more important than that of Jesus. Is that really what you think? That's not what you think. No one would ever say that, right? But when we say, I can't forgive myself, that's really what we're saying. Well, you know, it's nice that Jesus died for everybody else, but my sin's more important than that. We would never say that. But that's what we're saying when we say, I can't forgive myself. Listen, you have been forgiven. Jesus has let it go. You need to let it go. Let it go. Here's the big question today. If you're going to love like Jesus, how do we forgive like Jesus? That really lies at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to forgive sinners and as we are forgiven, we are called to forgive one another. That's really at the heart of the gospel. In fact, Scripture even tells us that the skeptics in the world who look on at us will judge us and judge our faith and really in some degree judge Jesus based on our ability to relate to one another, to love one another. And i gotta, I got to just shoot straight. We don't do a very good job. And a lot of times we give the outside world that's looking on just kind of see if, if there's any uh, real authenticity to us. They're watching. We, we aren't good to each other. So how do we love each other? Today I want to consider two simple thoughts. Now I said they're simple. I didn't say they were easy. How do we learn to forgive like Jesus? Number one, Jesus taught us to pray for those that hurt us. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. And that's what Jesus taught us to do. In Luke chapter 6, we read, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them. I'll pray to God for them. God, I pray they get poison ivy in their private parts. I'll pray for them. My dad got shingles one time. He said that was the most painful thing he's ever had in his life. He's a tough dude. My dad was a tough man. He said, Brett, you, trust me, you do not want shingles. I'll pray shingles on you, right? Mess with me. I pray they suffer. I pray for them. I pray they get sick. I talk to people sometimes, and, and really, that's what it sounds like to talk to them. They're angry. They want to see somebody suffer. 
I would just ask the question, what is Christ like about that? What, what, what at all, where at all does that look like Jesus? What Jesus said was so shocking. Pray for those who hurt you. In Matthew 5, Jesus said this, and when he said it, for them it was jaw-dropping. It was shocking to them. Most people, when they heard Jesus say this, their entire life they had been taught something entirely different than that. This was so new to them, foreign to their ears. In fact, most of us have been Christians for so long that the familiarity of some of these passages robs us of, of really the, the, the sting in Jesus' words. It robs us of the shock value of what it is that Jesus is trying to say. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, he's saying, you've heard your whole life, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. You grew up hearing that. The people that were listening to Jesus, they, they cut their teeth on that. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now see, we've evolved, haven't we? We're so much better than that because mama, always, when, when, when someone, when, when you hear someone say, oh, I hate them, how many of you hear your mother go, now we don't hate anybody, right? That's how we grew up because you knew you weren't supposed to hate people. So you never said it out loud, but inside we say it, I hate them. And we hope mom doesn't hear us. Right? And so we've kind of grown up knowing as Christians we're not supposed to talk like that, but we don't tell anybody, but deep down, deep down where we don't talk about, we don't bring it out, we don't let people know, we probably hate some people. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your, your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Huh? The moment Jesus would have said this, there would have been dead silence. Jaws hitting the floor. What? What? No, that's not what we've been taught. No way am I doing that. Why was this so scandalous? Well, because the Romans worshipped the idea, they worshipped the God of revenge. The Jewish audience had always been taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Blood for blood. When someone wrongs you, you wrong them back. If someone takes something from you, you go take something back. If someone breaks your bones, you break their bones. You don't let that stand. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now here's what happens. A lot of us grew up in church, and we've heard this our whole life, right? We've heard this our whole life. Love your enemies. I've been hearing Jesus say that to me since I was old enough to understand the English language, all right? Mrs. Christian, acting out stories on a flannel graph when I'm six years old, telling me, love your enemies, you know, good Samaritan, all that. I've heard this, I've heard this stuff. And it sounds easy. <laughs> Until when? Until you get an enemy. And then it's not easy. It sounds easy until someone lies about your wife or steals something from you or until somebody deliberately sets out to try to hurt you and you realize, oh my goodness, they meant to do that. 
or it devastates one of your kids. You know, it's, it's not until you get to a place like that where you really see this in a new light and you go, wait a minute, love your enemies, love my enemies. I mean, that sounds easy until I have an enemy and then it's like, wow, that's not easy anymore. So here's what I hope you'll see this morning. If you have been devastated by someone, if you have been let down, if someone lied about you, if someone gossiped about you, if someone said something that wasn't true, if someone hasn't been kind to you, then the first thing we got to do is we got to pray for them. We got to pray for them. We don't pray for something bad to happen to them. We pray that something good would happen to them. We are for them. The same way Jesus is for us. Why did Jesus teach us this? Probably a lot of reasons, but, but one of the reasons that he taught us this is because it takes a right attitude to precede right actions, right? You're not going to do the right thing until you have the right attitude. If I've got bitterness in my heart towards somebody, there's no way I'm going to have a right action toward them. There's no way. But when I start to pray for them, my attitude about that person slowly begins to change, and I begin to have a right attitude, and it eventually will lead me to right actions. But that's not going to just happen overnight. Listen to me. If you're waiting for some feeling to come over you for, until you feel like forgiving somebody, you will wait there forever. What are you doing? I'm just waiting for God to give me a feeling to forgive somebody. And Jesus is standing over here like, come on, man, we got, we, I got stuff for you to do. Let's go. No, wait, I'm, I'm wait, I got, you got to forgive them. I'm, I'm waiting for the feeling. We're going to wait forever for that feeling. All right? If, if you're sitting around waiting on a feeling to forgive somebody, good luck with that. That's not going to happen. Right attitudes will lead to right actions. How do you do that? How do you get your mind right? You've got to pray for them. When you start praying for your enemies, when you, when you pray for somebody that you hate, you start praying for somebody that has hurt you, your prayer may not change them. I guarantee you, your prayer, your praying for them will change you. In fact, I'll just tell you this. It's probably not going to do much for them. Your praying for them is probably not going to change much in them. But there is no way that you are going to pray for somebody who hurt you and continue to hate them. You can't do it. You can't do it. God will not let you pray for somebody and harbor hatred for them. You cannot do it. If you're here and you're with your spouse and you guys have had an argument or a fight, when you begin to pray for them, your heart will begin to melt toward them. You, you just can't hate somebody that you're praying for. How do you love like Jesus? You can't just love those who love you. That's not Jesus' way. Love your enemies and pray for those who, per, who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt us. That's number one. Number two, forgive as we have been forgiven. It's the second simple thought. Forgive as we have been forgiven. We forgive in the same manner that God forgave us. Colossians says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we forgive? We forgive as the Lord forgave us. I don't know about you, I'll just speak for me. 
I know that God has forgiven me of a lot of stuff. A lot. I won't speak for you. It's not my business. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how many lies you've told. I don't know how many lives you've hurt. I don't know how much you've disobeyed. I don't know how much you've sinned against God or somebody else. But I know this. I have been forgiven of a bunch of stuff. And I am to forgive others. In the same way that I have been forgiven. And if God is going to forgive me of a lot, then I'm going to have to forgive a lot freely as well. The choice is yours. You can walk around life and be this bitter person. And you can decide, I'm just going to be the best bitter person I can be. Mm. You can be hateful. You can talk down to people. You can get just as mad and bitter as you want to be. You can be the best bitter person you can, you can be. You can say, I'm just going to be mad at everybody. And you know what? I run across some people, that's how they are. They're just mad at everybody. And I'm just going to be bitter and I'm not going to forgive. You can be that way. Anne Lamott said that bitterness is a poison that we drink hoping it will kill somebody else. So what do you do when you've been hurt? Some of you have been hurt. I'm not minimizing it, okay? I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm not saying that you're not carrying deep, deep wounds this morning. Some of you are. You're carrying deep wounds. You, it's, I mean, it's all you can do to even get yourself to church. You, you are so devastated your whole mind is filled up with how can I get them back or I can't believe that they did this. You got to start praying. You got to take it to God and you got to tell God. And then one day you got to let it go and you got to make a choice and you got to say, God, by faith, I am choosing to let this go. I'm letting go of what they did because that's really what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. See, when we, when we carry this thing around where, you know, we're not forgiving, really what we're saying is, you owe me, you owe me. And forgiveness is basically saying, you do not have to pay me back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. In the same way that Jesus let my sin go, in the same way that I was forgiven, in the same way that when I come before God, he holds nothing against me, that's how I'm going to be with the people that I need to forgive. That's how I'm going to be with my enemies. They do not owe me a thing. How you doing? It's awful quiet. See, listen. We can go on and on. We can do Bible studies. We can, we can dive deep. We, we could... We could layer this thing. I could break it down in the Greek. We could go 20 passages on this. This is not hard. This is not hard. This is really simple, but it's not easy. And I just think that we're, we're educated far beyond our level of obedience because we know we're supposed to forgive people, but we don't do that. We decide we're going to be grudge holders. We decide we're just going to, 
you know, pound it out on somebody. It's not the way of Jesus. And here's the thing. When you finally let it go, you are setting a prisoner free, and the prisoner is you. You're the prisoner. Here's what's going on with your grudge. And I've used this illustration. I'll probably use this every time I talk about forgiveness, but we've got to see it. Someone inflicts a wound. You carry unforgiveness. It's like they just handed you a great big giant rock. And we carry it around all day. And we can't really be as effective as we'd like to be. We're not nearly as good in relationship with other people as we want to be. Our wife can tell. Our husband can tell. We're eaten up. Because we're carrying this thing around and it makes us bitter and we're angry and we're sick of this thing. And the one thing we need to do more than anything else is just drop it and leave it alone and walk away from it. But we don't do that. We wake up every day and the first thing we do is we scoop up this big thing, this anger that we've got towards somebody else, this lack of forgiveness. They hurt me. I know they hurt you. I know it hurts. But listen, you're hurting yourself by carrying this thing around all the time. Drop it. Put it down. Do you understand the emotional capital it takes for you to pick that up every single day and tote that thing around? And do you understand how much better you'll be the day you're able to put it down and walk away from it? Now here's what happens after a sermon like this. Usually... We're able to put it down today and we walk away until we start thinking about it for a little bit. Then we get over here and we're like, that son of a gun, I'm going to go back over and And we're right back in the middle of it. Set it down and set yourself free. Now one last thing I want to say and we're going to close. If you're here and you are not a Jesus follower, I don't know what they told you about following Jesus, but whatever it is, it probably wasn't right because this is what it means to be a Jesus follower. It means that you're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to do it all perfect. And you need to be forgiven. Nobody would really even argue with that. But most people think that following Jesus is, I got I to go keep the rules. I got to dress a certain way. I got I to be at church so many times. I got to do this and that. No. You need a savior. You, need, you don't do it right, so you, you need to be forgiven. And then I heard Andy Stanley say this. I think this is brilliant. He said, Jesus, following Jesus makes us better at life and makes life better. I like that. Following Jesus makes us better at life and it makes life better. So if you've never given your life to Christ, make your life better. Your relationships will be better. You'll learn how to forgive. You'll know what it means to be forgiven, and you'll be a better forgiver. For the rest of us who've heard this a hundred million times growing up, when are we going to do it? Let's do it. That face that came up when I said we're going to talk about forgiveness, it's like a man said to me in Bible college one time, today you have heard the word, and you can either accept it or reject it, but you can never again be one not called. You've heard the word. You know what's expected by Jesus of you. Who do you need to forgive? Let's pray. Father, this is hard stuff, man. This is is at the very core of the gospel. 
This is the stuff that you came to do for us, and you said, if you call me teacher and Lord, and I am, then you need to do what I do. And well, you forgave us. And Lord, there's not a one of us in here that hadn't been hurt. There's not a one of us in here that hadn't wanted revenge or hadn't wanted to get back. Father, help us to lay all that stuff down. Help us to drop the rock. Help us to pray for the people that have hurt us. Help us to find it in our hearts to forgive and to forgive the way you did completely and no going back. I'm just going to drop it and forget it. I'm never going back to that, that kind of thing again. I'm going to have benevolence toward them. I'm going to love them even if they don't love me. Because you love us even when we don't love you. God, we need help with this. There's no way we do this on our own. Would the Holy Spirit come in, invade our souls, and help us with this? And as a world watches us forgive each other, may they be drawn to the Savior who could forgive them. We pray it in Jesus' name.